talk to you in uh, thorough, thoroughly at least, uh, as I may, though I have, uh, and I regularly maybe refer to the, the subject uh, more, some more than some less, I actually want to preach on the subject, do a thorough exposition of 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26 through 40, Chapter 12, verse 20 through 33, chapter 14, verse 7 through 15, chapter 15, verse 25 through 30, and chapter 17, verse 22 to 23. You have all that. But we're not going to maybe, well, we probably hit most of that. I want to talk to you about humanistic reasonings and our corrupt reasonings, our natural reasonings, if you want to put it that way, that can destroy your your life for God. Over and over again, in, as being a pastor of gospel, I have seen people come to me and say, Preacher, uh, this or that, I feel like I need to do or move or do this or do that. And uh, moving's not always bad. Moving can be God's will. You moved here. And uh, sometimes moving away is God's will, but sometimes not. And sometimes moving jobs is God's will, sometimes not. And so we, I just see people with big major decision-making uh, and, and kind of, as they confide in me on certain things, try to lead them in the right way. But in the, in the midst of that, I hear uh, what I call fear-based decision-making. And I talked a little bit about that here a while back. Fear-based decision-making is horrible. You and I as born-again Christians should never be making decisions on fear. Perfect love casts out fear. We don't need, we don't do fear. We don't, has fear ever come by your house? Fear, if fear hasn't come by, it will. And it comes by when you're the weakest. It'll come by when you're sick as a dog and you're just like weak and unable to help yourself. Fear will come by and whisper in your ear. Ooh, fear is low, grievously low. It just doesn't, it just will strike you when you're down. It'll try to get you to make moves because fear is opposite faith. Makes sense to you. It's opposite faith. Uh, there's not going to be fear in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about fear of the Lord now, respect and awe for God and who he is. I'm talking about, I'm talking about raw human fear. And we, we struggle in that. Well, let's talk about a guy by the name of Jeroboam. My, my wife always says the Boehm brothers. Preach on the Boehm brothers again. Well, there's a lot to preach on the Boehm brothers. Uh, Brother uh, Dr. Crabb this morning talked about preaching on uh, pneumonia from five or six different ways. Uh, you, can, you can speak about pneumonia five or six different ways, as he mentioned so astutely in Sunday school class. And if you don't come to adult Sunday school class and you're, one of, you're, you're over 50 or over 45, come on over. You'll, be, you'll enjoy the Sunday school teaching Dr. Crabb's doing uh, this whole summer, most all summer. 
and it'll only go on a couple of times, and you'll, you'll benefit from that. But let's go to 1 Kings, and I just need to read a little bit, make a few comments, and then try to help us to see the, the error of making decisions based on fear and how deep, how deep the consequences can be. Your decision-making does not just involve you. Your decision-making will involve you, your children, and your children's children, and their children, and their children. Your decision-making can go way down the road. You've heard me say this many, many times in the pulpit. The best thing you can do for your children is live for God. That's simply the single best contribution you can do for your children is to live for God. Well, anyways, 1 Kings 11, 26, I'll pick it up. Actually, I'm going to pick it up in verse 28. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing the young man, that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. That was a big job. And it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way. And he clad himself with a new garment, and they were two alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. That, that'd be a job right there. Maybe he had a sharp knife. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my, Dave, my servant David's sake and for, and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because that they have forsaken me and worshiped the Ashtoreth and goddess of the Zidonians and the Chemish, the goddess of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of Ammon, and have walked not walked in my ways and to do that which is right in mine eyes and to keep my statutes and my judgments, as did David his father. I can't take time tonight on this, but man, I want to weep every time I read this section about Solomon. Solomon, Solomon. Oh, my son Solomon. What, a, what opportunity he had. Oh, what, what good. Now, wait a minute. Solomon had all the money you could ever wish for. He wrote the book Ecclesiastes. And if you want to read, he tried everything there was to try. Everything the world offers this old, this old human being called Solomon, he, tra- he did it. He built. He did every kind of building thing. Uh, he had every kind of, he had redheads and blondes and, and, and red, yellow, black, or white skin color. He had a thousand women that he, that he uh, uh, had access to. Uh, that didn't satisfy. If you'll notice, the main, the main key of the book was vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There's really nothing for a man under the sun. In other words, you're not going to keep any of this stuff. Because of the, he disobeyed God, he went into error and eventually began to worship these horrible gods I just mentioned, which are not gods, which according to the Bible, behind every one of those gods is a, demo, a demon. And, and they worship demons in these idols. And so he had to bring judgment, and he raises up this man Jeroboam uh, to bring this judgment during Solomon's time, by the way. In verse 34 there, howbeit I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him a prince in the days in the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I chose 
because he kept my commandments and my statutes. He took it easy on Solomon. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, that's Solomon's hand, and will give it unto thee, that is Jeroboam, even ten tribes. And unto his son, I will give one tribe that David, my son, uh, servant, excuse me, may have a light all way before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth, and thou shalt be king over Israel. Wow. Jeroboam, a nobody. Really a nobody up to this point. Just an industrious young man. It's this kind of prophecy. Verse 38. It did come as God's promise come with in this kind of situation with a caveat. And it shall be if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee and will walk in my ways and do that which is right in my sight and keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did. So it's possible. He's not telling him something impossible to do. That I will be with thee and build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and I will give Israel unto thee. Ten tribes of Israel I'm going to give unto you. Now you know, right off the bat, when you read that, you're thinking Bathsheba. You're thinking, you know, you're thinking the sin and the murder and all that went on with David. But yet David repented of those things, right? Psalm 51, right? Psalm 32, right? He repented of those things. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He truly was a man after God's own heart. He did fall. He did sin, and it was awful, and he admitted it was awful, and, and, re, and lost his, the baby died, of course. And then the sword never was taken away from his house. Now, David was honestly, truly repentant, but the sword was never taken away from his house. He literally had to sit back and watch his children go at each other in cases raping each other, in cases killing each other. Horrific things for a dad to watch, knowing the whole time it was because of those the thing he did with Bathsheba, and trying to hide it for one whole year, and waiting until Nathan finally had to point the fickle finger of fate on him and say, "Thou art the man." Had he come forth earlier, had he repented earlier, maybe things could have been different. But adding all that up, that was God's righteousness in that. Verse 39 there, it says, And I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. He must have heard about this. And Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt. Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Jeroboam had great opportunity ahead of him. He had personal promises from God Almighty. He had a very specific mission and purpose for living. Not too many people get this kind of head start. But humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. He was promised the ten tribes to rule over, and after Solomon died, the prophet failed to say, what the prophet failed to say was there'd be persecution, isolation awaited Jeroboam as Solomon, great king now, sought to kill him. So God gives him this promise that he's going to rule over the ten tribes, and immediately persecution comes. Immediately, he has to flee from his family, his friends, his, whatever he's got going, and he's got to get out of there because Solomon's wanting to kill him. 
I bet he, on the way over to Egypt, he's wondering, this is God's blessing? This is God's work? Sometimes there's a, there's a space between these things that God talks to us about to test us, really to teach us humility. There's no great leader is ever going to be a great leader without some humility, and usually that comes through trouble and trial. Uh, David was anointed king, as you know, and uh, uh, he, he had to flee some 15 years from Saul and, and suffered tremendous suffering and testing during that time. He lived in caves. I don't know if you've been in a cave lately, but there's bats in caves, and bats, what do bats do? They poop. And that goes down to the ground, and then that, that becomes gunpowder. Partially, they use that in a civil war for gunpowder. I forgot what they call that. There's a name for it. But anyway, they, they went in uh, and dug that stuff up, used it for gunpowder in the civil war. Must be, must be pretty powerful. I think it's full of nitrogen is why they do that. But he had to, he had to live around that. He had to live around that. Uh, he had to always keep a lookout. David did. He had to keep a lookout. He had to eat his bread in of affliction. He had, he had to eat his bread with his head up. Not for a year, not for five years, not for 10 years, but he had to do that for 15 years. How many of us would give up hope of whether God was going to do what he said if 15 long years passed and he didn't do it? If five years passed, I have people get saved in this church through the history of this church, and things don't go well for them at their home, and they lose their job, or they, or they, or they have a, children get sick, and, 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 and they have trouble. And I've, they come to me and say, this is being a Christian? This is the blessings of God? I wouldn't judge God too quickly about that. Give him a chance to work. Trust him. Promise the blessing. Don't make the same mistake that Jeroboam made. Don't make it. Don't resort to your human natural reasonings. I guess God's forsaken me. No, he's not forsaken you. I guess God forgot about me. No, God hasn't forgotten about you. I guess the promises of God aren't true. No, I'm going to tell you what, heaven and earth pass away, but his word will not pass away. Some of you think maybe in this room God's let you alone, forsaken you, somehow put you on the outside. No, he hasn't. Maybe you think God's abandoned you. No, he hasn't. Maybe you think he doesn't even love you. I've had people say, God, don't love me like he loves you. Oh, hogwash. The Bible's true. Let every man be a liar, but God's going to be true. God loves you just like he loves me. God loves you just like he loves any other human being. God loves you. Some of you may believe God's broken his promises to you. He hadn't broken his promises. In the end of it all, if you'll trust him by faith, you'll see every word, every word come to truth. I believe it was at the end of Moses' life, and maybe also at the end of Joshua's life, maybe Solomon. It was two out of three. Ain't bad. They said, every word that you've spoken has come true. Every word. I got those underlined in my Bible. And when I was young, in my 20s, reading it, I just, I just like went like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I want every word to be true. Every word, he said. Those are old guys that lived their whole life. At the end of their life said not one word that all you promises ever failed. 
How about you tonight? You going to say amen to that? We need to start a black church. We need to start, we need to start inviting. We need to start inviting. We need, all of us need to bring a black person to church with us because they could teach you how to worship. I'm telling you, you try to preach to a dry crowd, you see, you feel like you're the only, if there's a rapture, I'd be the only one gone. Somebody say amen. These are the promises of God. This is the word of God here, people. Don't be Presbyterian. You're in a Baptist church. It's okay to say amen. Oh, well, I mean, don't, don't worry about it. Just go for it. First Kings chapter 12. Let's go further. It came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, and they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all. Solomon died over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. It was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and with the tribe of Benjamin, and there it is, and a hundred and uh, 80,000, score thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to bring a kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. He thought he was going to bring it all back. The word of God came unto Shemaniah, and a man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the king of Judah, unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, You shall not go up, you shall not, you shall not basically fight against your brethren, the children of Israel return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. God's basically informing Rehoboam and those people that I am dividing your country in two pieces. It's from me that this is going on, obviously because of the sin. They hearken, therefore, to the word of the Lord, return to depart um, according to the word of the Lord. In verse 25, then Rehoboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, and man, you ought to underline this in verse 12, 26, 27. And Jeroboam said in his heart, this is your inner thoughts. Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. Now I thought we just read where the prophet said, I'm going to cut you 10 of these tribes and they're yours. I thought we just read that the prophet said that if you'll just obey me and follow me, I'm going to establish you. With the, I'm going to establish you as their king. I thought we just read that. Now, in the meantime, Solomon chases him in fear. He runs, and, and he runs to Egypt. Solomon dies. He comes back. Just like God said, the children of Israel, the ten tribes, the northern ten tribes says, we don't have no king. We're not going to accept this Rehoboam boy. No, we want you. God's doing it, right? But then Jeroboam, after all that, Jeroboam says in his heart, now should the kingdom return to the house of David. Here's why, verse 27. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord, because under the law of Moses, every male of the Jewish home would go to Jerusalem at least three times a year and appear before the Lord to sacrifice. And so because of that, he said, they're gonna, this, in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of the people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me, and of course that means his house too, and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Here is why so many Christians fail. Here's why so many Christians fail. They look at the present circumstances. 
and they get a sense of fear, and they begin to make decisions off that fear. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. A lot of you are getting old. A lot of you. And you're beginning to say, I wonder how I'm going to make it. I wonder, you know, have you ever tried to live on Social Security? Um, I had people come say, all I got is Social Security, and I'm no way can I live. I have got a phone call two weeks ago. All I got is Social Security. How am I going to live? I said, there's a God. The same God that burst you in your mother's womb when she was trying to get rid of you by playing tennis and jogging and riding on rough, rough bumpy roads, and, and you, you stayed attached to the uterus all that time, and then through, through that horrific process called birth, you lived through that, and the umbilical cord didn't wrap around your neck, you weren't breech-born, the doctor didn't kill you, when your, when your dad saw ugly, worried he didn't kill you, and you lived through all that. And you lived through... You lived through polio, and you lived through tuberculosis, and you lived through typhoid, and you lived through all the diseases that are out there, and God spared you up to this moment. You don't think the God that did that's going to bring you all the way to the end? You ain't going to be able to eat ribeye. McDonald's is going to become your favorite restaurant. I'm getting ready for it. I'm eating at McDonald's a lot lately. I, mean, I tried to meet McDonald's with my wife and I. I'll ask her, where do you want to go? She'll say, McDonald's. We're starting to get in the mood. <laughs> Plus, I don't want to go nursing home. God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. Pre- Doctor, make sure it don't happen. Will you? <laughs> oh, that was double the morphine he was supposed to get. Oh, well. He got to go to heaven. I think I've seen that already. But Jeroboam looked at that present crisis and began his humanistic, natural, corrupt reasoning. He used good human logic. I'm going to have to agree that three times a year, all his ten, every male from the ten tribes that he was king in are going to go down to Jerusalem. Going to go to Jerusalem. That's where Rehoboam's came. And they're going to worship before the the, uh, temple in Jerusalem. And one plus one equals, they're going to say, well, why are we up with Jeroboam when we're down here with Rehoboam and he's the one that's got the temple. This is the city God said he placed his name. Why in the world do we have this guy up there, Jeroboam, as our king? It's beautiful. It's human reason. Listen to me. Nobody in his right mind humanistically would say, Jeroboam, you're crazy. No, you say that's that's probably going to happen. Jeroboam, here's what's going to happen. As king, you're going to rub the cat the wrong way. Once in a while, like Trump. You think if we turn Trump over the Dems, what do you think they'd do to him? That was where Jeroboam felt he was going to be. He thought, by the time I increase taxes a little bit or do this or do that, or, you know, I'll take the so reducers, Medicare, reduce our Social Security. Woo! Human logic was beautiful. He used normal thought processors. Uh, most of the counselors around him would have probably agreed. I agree. After the second or third or fourth or fifth year, those boys going down Jerusalem, they're going to go, well, I don't see why we're spending the money on this guy. We can just have our king down there and just go down there and be one. 
And there would be the unification movement. Unify, unify Israel to one nation again. Let's unify the north and the south. Most case histories would agree with him. That's probably what's going to happen. But he was wrong. He was awfully wrong. He was tragically wrong. Why? Because God didn't agree with it. God's word didn't agree with it. God's word to him was, you, you do what I tell you to do, how I tell you to do it, and I'll keep you king, and I'll bless your family. And that's all he had to remember, really, right? And how many promises you and I have been given, and things will start going bad, and you say, oh, oh God's forsaken me. He was wrong because he used his corrupt, natural human reasoning rather than trusting in God's word. And that's good. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You'll never succeed, never, in living for Jesus unless you get this. You will be tested in this area. Trust me, as soon as you read a promise in the Bible, the breath of the devil will be right behind it, trying to get you to deny it. But, but every victory you have, right after that victory, is the devil's going to come by and test you on it. Blind faith is the only faith that pleases God. You must trust God's word no matter what you see or what you hear or what your senses tell you. I didn't say this was easy. But you know what it is to be dead? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. We're supposed to be dead. Dead, I've been around a lot of dead bodies. They don't react. You can poke them. You can do whatever you want to them. They don't react. And that's what we're supposed to be. The devil comes by. We're supposed to be dead to ourselves and alive to God. That means non-reactive to this world, non-reactive to the normal fear, non-reactive to the crazy reasonings of this world, and reactive to God. We live to God. Let's pick it up in verse 28 of 1 Kings chapter 12. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Up meaning up. It was actually down, but it was up height-wise. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And he set one in Bethel, and he put other in Dan. I've been to Dan. I've said this over and over. I went to Dan, saw it, walked on it. This thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan, which is in the very northern part, and Bethel, the house of God, where Jacob was, where the angels came up and down the ladder. That was in the southern part of Jerusalem. It became a sin, became a sin. They made house of high places, made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And ordained holiday the same month, the holiday of, the, of God had. He had a holiday up there, the next two verses or so. Oh, brother and sister in Christ. The ten tribes never shook this. They never shook it. For 210 
years, for 210 years, from 910 B.C. to 721 B.C., <clears throat> they never got over it. They never shook it. In, verse, uh, in 1 Kings 14, verse 7, it says, Go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people, and made thee prince over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it to thee, and yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me and with all his heart, to do that only which was right in mine eyes. But thou but hast done evil above all, but basically Jeroboam had done evil above all that were before thee. For thou hast gone and made the other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger and hast cast me behind thy back. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall. That's the first mention of a urinal in the Bible. Just trying to get you to remember it. And him that is shut up and left in Israel will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man taketh away dung till it be all gone. Now, we've, been, we've had a lot of septic systems for a long time, my life, my whole life. When I go to third world, that's not the way it is. In the morning, they got a bedpan they bring in your room. And I, the first time they brought a bedpan in, I said, what's this for? Now, some of you old-timers lived during that period of time. And that bedpan, and, and uh, she said, well, if you, you know, it was like a 12-year-old girl, and she was real embarrassed and didn't want to tell me. So I had to go to... Surge, and I said, what's this for? And he says, well, you know, when you have to relieve yourself at night, you use this. Then the, before dawn, about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, the girls would come by, pick those pans up, and go throw it away. God says, I'm going to take you like you pick up dung in those pans and throw you out. He that dieth the Jeroboam in the city shall the dogs eat. Him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. The Lord has spoken it. Let me just say with, with all the sincerity I know, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Jesus said, don't fear man. Now, I'll be honest, men are bad, aren't they? Men are bad. They'll skin you alive. They will burn you alive. They will cut your head off while you're living. I mean, they'll, they'll slowly kill you. They'll turn you over to dogs. Let dogs rip you up. These are all things that we know that they have done. They'll turn you over to lions and bet on which one dies first. Jesus said, don't fear man. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him after he had killed. That's the power to send to hell. Basically, my understanding. Let me tell you, there's nobody to fear more than God. And when you start making decisions and you put yourself ahead of God, you put yourself at enmity with God. And there's nobody you want to have as an enemy. You don't want to have God as your enemy. Fear that more than you fear what you're fearing. Whether it be starving to death, living out on the street, sleeping in a dumpster, sleeping out under the stars, doing whatever. None of that is compared, could be compared with betraying God. Nothing like that could be. Though he slay me. That's what Job was. 
Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job says, hey, take me out of here, but I'm going to trust him. Ooh, that's beautiful. You know how Job ended, right? He ended pretty well, didn't he? And you're seeing how Jeroboam ended, right? Nobody wants to be Jeroboam. By the way, some statistical information on the way out. The name of Jeroboam is mentioned some 102 times now in the Bible. 102 times. Now, to get your name mentioned once in the Bible is big, right? Some of you were mentioned after Bible characters. Some of you were mentioned, some, some of your names, you know. Your mom and dad picked a name up from the Bible and, and named you after a biblical name. Uh, and, and that's a compliment. And, you know, you go around. In fact, I think in the 50s, we had a very spiritual group of people that were birthed in children. And they named them John, and they named them Paul. There's a lot of Johns, a lot of Pauls. Uh, Matthews. The people cared about naming their children after the Bible characters. They wanted their children to somehow be attached to the Bible. If you had your name mentioned once in the Bible, that'd be a big deal. I mean, if it was really you. Imagine having your name mentioned 102 times. This isn't good. Out of all the 102 times, most all of them are negative. It talks about the sins of Jeroboam. It talks about the ways of Jeroboam. The sins and the ways of Jeroboam, which is what I'm trying to explain to you tonight. Uh, over 200 years, his sin affected the nation that he ruled. Eventually, those poor 10 tribes, because of their obedience to his sin, and they wouldn't shake it off, and God tried to get him to shake it off. You remember the nameless prophet that came there and lifted his hand and said, yeah, no, he, he didn't do it. They didn't do it after that. How many people lost everything spiritually because of this one guy? Assyria in 721 B.C. came in. Assyria was known for their cruelty. If you read about Assyria, and it won't, it'll, it'll be good for you if you read about Assyria. Read about how they killed people. Read about how they cut their heart out and kept them alive as long as they possibly could. Read about how they were known for their inhumanity. Even among inhumane people, Assyrians were known for their inhumanity. They were feared. You did not want Assyria to come in and take over, and that's exactly who God sent to his children because of their wickedness and because of their disobedience. And he wiped them out. It's like a man takes dung in a, in a, in a, and throws it outside. And they really never recovered. They call them the ten lost tribes of Israel. Where are they? They were just, who, who was left alive was dispersed in Assyria. They were displaced. Assyria brought their people, took over their places, and they were taken over to Assyria. And nobody really knows where those ten tribes. I mean, I'm sure they survived because God, because there's 12 tribes listed in Revelation by name. There's 12,000 of each tribe. So God is a good mathematician. He's a good accountant. I'm sure he saved a certain amount of them. I'm not sure they know who they are, though. But God's going God's gonna to make sure there's enough of them to fulfill his prophecy. Man, I read this, I am astonished. 
I am a, I'm, I, this teaches me about a new, this teaches me about the God I serve. He's not a pansy. He's not a sissy boy. He's not a all so merciful that no matter what you do, it's okay, you can treat me. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And that's the same God that does this. Turn on him. I'm going to tell you, why is there sin in the church? Because there's a lack of the fear of God. Why are we having adultery in the church? Why are we having immorality in the church? Because people don't fear God. They don't believe he really is who he said he is. They don't believe he's ever really going to discipline them. He's ever really going to challenge them. But oh, oh. Brother, to those who hate me, the sin will go to the second and the third and the fourth generation. But now listen to this. To those who love me, to the thousandth generation. What's the best thing you can do for your, for your kid? Live for God. Do the right thing. Obey the Lord. Do not make decisions out of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has no place in, in, in God's people, though it will come like a ghost upon you. Just don't get on your face before God and say, I'm not going to fear. I'm trusting the Lord, trusting the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. If you've got to say it all night, say it all night. And God will come and help you. Father, help us tonight. Come, explain this better than I could. May the spirit of what's been told us. Now, the Bible, the Bible has been written for our admonition. It's been written... So that we would know who you are, what your attitude against sin and disobedience is, what your attitude against uh, for obedience and compliance and, and who you really are. And Father, we pray that, that we would understand something of why Jesus had to suffer what he suffered when he took our sin upon himself. The Bible says in Isaiah, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's talking about the father bruising the son. Because God hates sin. Sin is the most corrosive, most debilitating, most horrific thing there is in the universe. Help us not to be friendly to it. Help us not to be sympathetic to it. Help us not to, to pander it and, 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 and uh, hug it and to be close to it and to like it, God forbid. Help us to love God and hate sin. Do a, do a work in your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can contact us at gospelbaptistchurch.com for our website. Or go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Or call the office at 239 239- 947-1285. Thank you. God bless.